Hey everybody, welcome to Applying to Everything, a show about our passions, the world, and where they overlap. I'm your host, Bruno Falcon. This week, I sit down with writer and musician Johnny Grave to talk about music, craft, and how things change and stay the same. Enjoy! recording with people who know how to talk into a microphone. It's um, not my first rodeo. <laughs> so we were talking about apartments. Um, <laughs> Real estate, my least favorite topic. I just want I just want an office. At the end of the day, all I want, I want a space so that I have a room that I work in yeah. and a room that I do other things in. Um, Keep them separate. And, and so that I can close the door on the room that I work in and not think about it. Because I'm like, I, it's hard enough with with the phone and the laptop and doing things that I love doing. It's hard to walk away from it because sometimes you have to, like, even if you love it, even if even if it's what you want to be doing all the time, you got to put it down. Because if you don't get any space, you don't have distance. It's really hard to look at it effectively. I don't. I, I think that's kind of a problem that we have with with our with our generation. I, I don't. I'm. I, I'll be the last person to point my finger at my own age group and say those goddamn millennials. <laughs> but, but to to that to that point, I I think that in the in the wake of things like we were just talking about WeWork office spaces, which are which are cool. Those are they're they're elegant, they're beautiful. Um, it's it's a, a great way to save space. You're uh, it's a lot more ecologically sound. Um, it's a it's a cool way of making an office, but the the downside is that you know you can you can work in our kitchen, you can take your email with you to the coffee shop, mm-hmm. you can you can do your do your office work from the from the roof of your building, which is cool, but it doesn't do much for compartmentalizing our our day, and that's when you get work that spills over into maintaining a good personal life. That's when you get. Um, your your job eating to eating into things like you know taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't you shouldn't have to be looking at at emails for for prospective gigs while you're trying to buy granola. You shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't have to do that. And I can't I can't I don't I can't think of a more millennial thing to say than that. Mm-hmm. But it still it still stands. It I holds. Think. And yeah. I think I think that you see some of the reaction to that all sorts of people in the corporate space talking about burnout culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's been plenty of research over the last decade talking about how even working 40 hours a week leads to diminishing returns. And if you, and we are in the worst city for it. If you know anyone in DC under the age of 40 who works less than 40 hours a week, they, they, I, they, they come from money. Yeah. Like they, <laughs> they, they don't have to, uh, they, they don't have to work at all. And, right. and there are very few of them come to DC. They'll go somewhere else. Um, the city is so, Highly type A. Well, that's I mean that's that's part of that's part of what what that's part of I think the identity of, of, of DC and that always has been is that people people don't come to to DC for acting jobs they don't come here for music jobs they don't come here now you're starting to see folks come here for food jobs mm-hmm. which is really cool like that's mm-hmm. like we're we're seeing a big uh, a big surge in the in the food. And, and drink and hospitality scene where mm-hmm. there, there's a lot there's a new bar opening every weekend there's a new brewery every month there's a there's there's distilleries now yeah if you told if you told me 10 years ago that I could drink whiskey in DC that was made in DC I, I, I would have thought you're nuts there's yeah. there's no there's no way the city council would have gone for that and they did and it's helping the economy I mean granted it's help it's 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 hurting a, a few demographics as well it's pushing a lot of folks out of their out of their their neighborhoods mm-hmm. but people come here for jobs people people come to, to 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 DC for for careers and usually those those careers that they move in here for are fairly high profile and and as a result fairly high stress mm-hmm. you're talking about government jobs uh, political appointments mm-hmm. and those are those are pretty intense. You're you're not you're not talking about how many reams of paper you can move. You're not mm-hmm. talking about how many drums of oil you can you can ship across the the Pacific. You're talking about about the the infrastructure of the country. You're right. talking about the seat of the federal government, and that's that's some pretty high stress stuff. And I think that, that the young folks that that are making this city move. I think they've got a lot of stress on their on their shoulders. I think that they've got they've got a lot of uh, a lot of responsibility, 
and it's it, and it'd be interesting to see, it, it will be interesting to see how they how they cope with it i have hope i have hope i don't i don't <laughs> think i don't think we're going to see a, a massive burnout of young folks in our age bracket uh, suddenly making an exodus for mm-hmm. uh, outside of dc for someplace else well and i also think that i mean on the on the political end a lot of the younger a lot of the positions that younger folks like you know 20s to early 30s fill end up being cycling positions you're here for a few years you're on a campaign you're at an organization that has offices elsewhere you're working for a senator you cycle in and out um and then one of the things i've noticed growing uh more and more common in dc is that people talented intelligent people in the arts are coming here to stay are coming here to stay because while it's not as on the pulse in some ways as a New York or an LA, the market isn't as saturated because you don't have as many people vying for all of the acting positions and writing positions and producing positions and grants and grants in DC. And because you're so close to all the people who in terms of getting grants and finding funding so close to all the people who provide that in a way that is somewhat less tapped, they stay like the, the actors, the, like the actors and musicians I know who are in DC are, are, aren't going in anywhere because you can get to New York, you can get to Philly, you can get, you know, you can get up to Baltimore where, where there are strong theater scenes as well. And it's cheaper and it's a whole lot easier to find work in all of those places, let alone here in the city. I, I I disagree. I think there's I think there's, I think there's a lot of work. There there is a lot of work to to be had in DC, but you, you have to you have to know the channels for it. You mm-hmm. have to. Um, it's still. I do I do think there is there is not nearly as much market saturation for things like music or things like theater, and or just let's just say entertainment. Um, I I don't I don't think there's nearly as much saturation in DC as there are in, in larger towns like let's say Nashville, Austin, mm. New York, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, mm-hmm. Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know those are those are those are entertainment cities. Those are right. You uh, you 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 in those towns you you put on a suit to go see a show. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in this town, you know, let's let's go put on a a tie to go watch Christmas Carol at the, at Ford's theater, mm-hmm. the spot where Lincoln was shot. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not really, it's not a terribly inspiring thing. Although that bit, that, that being said, that is a great production. And that is like, that's, <laughs> that is like, like that's the, that's the cool <laughs> ticket every year. Like that's like, if you, mm-hmm. if you want to, you mm-hmm. want to really impress your girl, actually, no, you want to impress your girl's parents, get them all tickets to Christmas Carol mm-hmm. in December at Ford's theater. It's a great show. But mm-hmm. that, but that, that that being said, I think what's what's great for for somebody like me living living in DC is that it allows me to be a lot more specialized. Mm-hmm. It allows me to 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 really focus on something that I care about because there's not really a market for it here, or rather there's there's because there's much of a market here for it. I don't have that many competitors. There's not a whole right. lot of folks that in that that are that are playing blues. There's not a whole lot of folks that are that are playing uh, music from the 1920s and 30s in DC. There's not a whole lot of those folks in the country anyway. But the, but let's you know I I think you're going to find mm-hmm. a lot more folks that that play the same kind of songs that I play in towns like Nashville. Right. Um, here in DC, it's pretty few and far between. So I I can I can eke out a living playing at um, playing at bars, playing at clubs, playing private events. Mm-hmm. And be able to pay rent that way, and I've got a good community backing me up. There's a lot of there's a lot of musicians that don't play what I play, but play something similar to it, or are, or similarly enthusiastic about what they're playing, mm-hmm. and you get to make a great. That's how great scenes happen. That's how mm-hmm. great music communities begin. Um, that's that's how it was for the go go scene. That's how it was for the for the hardcore scene. That's how it was for the jazz scene back in the in the 30s and 40s when Ellington was here. There's, there's, it starts as a community and develops into a scene, mm-hmm. and I think that I think the next, the next cool scene for DC, whatever that winds up being, I think that's only like ten years away. I mm-hmm. think we're going to see a resurgence of that. But the other great part about living here and working here as an artist, as a musician, as a as a guitar player, as a as a blues guitar player, playing something that's very specific, and not really delving too much outside of that, it's geographic. I'm I'm four hours away from anything. Mm-hmm. If I go four hours south, I'm in Virginia Beach. I'm in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go four hours south and slightly west, I'm in uh, Blacksburg, uh, Virginia, uh, or Harrisonburg, Virginia, in, in, in mountain college towns. 
If I go four hours north, I'm if I go two and a half hours north, I'm in Philadelphia. If I go four hours north, I'm in New York. Mm-hmm. I'm in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I'm in I'm in the Bronx, which is that's I play there once a month. And then if you go if you go four hours outside of either one of those places, you know, four hours outside of outside of New York, that's Boston. Four hours outside of actually fuck four hours outside of New York, that's Toronto. Yeah, I you mean, can, you can hit Canada. You can be in another country mm-hmm. if you go four hours outside of New York. Four hours outside of a, outside of Blacksburg, you can go to Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, and that's you know I I think that's a it's DC is a great home base for somebody like me. I I tour a lot. I tour two weeks at a clip, doing that three four times a year, and living in DC is 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 great for that because I'm I it's I get to manage. I'm not doing six hour drives every day. Right. I'm doing like three and a half maybe four hour drives. Mm-hmm. Much better on the Constitution. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, no one's going to argue that DC is an inexpensive city to live in. Oh God, it is. <laughs> it is a whole lot more cost effective yeah. if you're going to do something like own a car, or if you need a space to store equipment, or like it. It has it has the benefit of or rehearse or rehearse rehearsal spaces. Like it's not it's not Philadelphia, um, although who knows how long that's going to last. Um, they're coming up. I was up there last week. They're 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 coming up hard. Yeah. Well, because it was what what was it. Four years ago, they did the uh, they did a reassessment on property taxes for the first time in three decades. Jesus, I think it was. So everybody's property taxes went up three hundred percent because no one had done a proper assessment since the late seventies. And so, of course, you know, but they're they're doing that because it means they can development contracts are now way more valuable. Like the 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 value to the city goes up exponentially which is you know we'll see what that does to the punk scene up there that's that's what i was going to say i don't i don't think they're the 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 punk or diy garage scene up there is is, is going to go anywhere although although it, it is and, and that 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 scene is a it's not that's not a a loose confederation of musicians that's mm-hmm. a that's a that's a scene yeah. like that's a yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. community up there they're doing they're doing some great work i played a, a so far sounds show about a about a week ago um, and they're doing they're doing some great work, but you know, right down the street from this this converted firehouse mm-hmm. where I was playing, um, there's this behemoth apartment building that's getting gutted and then uh, uh, renovated into uh, into luxury apartments. Mm-hmm. And once once those units start selling, there's going to be three or four more other buildings, and then within about 10, 15 years, you're going to look at a, at a completely different side of, of Philadelphia. This is Fishtown we're talking about. Yep. This is not, this is not, <laughs> we're not talking about like some neighborhood of, of quaint little row houses just outside of City Hall. Mm-mm. No, this is like, this is a, a thoroughly historically working class neighborhood. It's fucking North Philly. That's about to turn into, 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 into luxury condos. Yeah. It's horrifying. It's really, it's really, it's, it's scary <laughs> as a, as a musician. It's terrifying, but you know, there's also there's there's some great towns all over the country, man, that are that are that are doing good work and that are that are. I I travel a lot and I get to see a lot of great places. Indianapolis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis. When you when you go out there, look up a guy named Josh Powell, and mm-hmm. he's he's he and uh, and and a bunch of his friends are are doing some solid work, uh, putting on great shows, bringing bands in from all over the country, bringing blues guitar players from Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. into into some of their shows. I don't. I don't think the capability of a of a scene will ever truly die out. I think there's always going to be a space for it, but it's getting harder and harder. We're gonna, we're really having having to look under some rocks and stones right now. Yeah, especially it, yeah, yeah. Stepping back a little bit. I mean, yeah. so so just we we dove right in. Um, <laughs> we which did, is, which we is did. great. <laughs> um, but I want to step back a little bit because I've uh, you've been playing music as long as I've known you, which is now over a decade. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious about what got you into into playing the type of playing guitar the way you do, okay. and playing music the way you do. Because I mean, you know, growing up growing up outside DC, like there was a lot, there was a lot. Like there were a lot of music scenes. There were a lot of different directions to go in. Um, so what what got you headed down this path? My father plays bluegrass. Mm-hmm. Um, my father my father plays guitar, and so I uh, from my earliest memories, my earliest memories that, that I have from when I was like three or four are musical memories. Mm-hmm. It's, it's memories of, of my dad playing guitar to my older sister and I, or, uh, playing records. I, I, 
I loved Little Richard. I was a huge Little Richard fan when I was three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I so as, for as long as I can remember, I've always had something around me or something in my hands that makes noise. Which is uh, that's a great way to grow up. That's a if mm-hmm. if any if any of your listeners have have kids um, or are thinking about having kids, make music a priority. Make just whether that's getting your three year old a ukulele they can they can bash around on or getting your six year old piano lessons like whatever that happens to be like just get get music to your kids one way or another for for God's sake please do that. Um, when I was a teenager, I was playing drums. Mm-hmm. I started playing guitar and drums around the same time when I was about 13. And then by the time I hit high school, I I was I was less into into playing drums in in loud rah rah angry fuck you metal bands. Mm-hmm. Um and I was more into into actually writing songs and playing guitar and 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 making my own music. And and writing songs is a lot easier to do on guitar than it is on drums. Right. Um so right around when I was when I was 15, I was uh, I was temporarily expelled from high school. Mm-hmm. I, I, you, I'm sure you remember the the the, the incident vaguely. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I was I was a I was a dumb I was a dumb kid. I was a, I was a dumb stupid kid, and made made some really dumb choices. And I was I was I was kicked out of school for it. And when I was when I was kicked out of school at the at the same time, my father had a had an accident. My my father had uh, he was walking the dog had a leash across these two fingers and mm-hmm. the dog saw a cat or a squirrel or something in the alley next to our house mm-hmm. and just charged for it. And so when the, when the leash snagged, it, it yanked on my dad's left hand, mm-hmm. which is the, mm-hmm. if you're not a guitar player, that's the, the hand that holds down strings. Uh, and he tore a ligament in his ring finger. Mm-hmm. Um, so he couldn't, he couldn't flex his fingers to, to hold strings down onto a, uh, onto a fretboard. So I was 15. I'd been playing guitar for about a year and a half by that point. Mm-hmm. And, my father had a gig at the cathedral. It was a very informal church service gig. It was me- it was mostly meant for visitors. It was meant for tourists. Um, if you're in town, you want to go to the cathedral for a service. You can go to the the crypt level, um, and go uh, uh, go have a Eucharist there. It's about an hour long. And it was great. Um, that's the service that I that I grew up going to at the at the national cathedral. Mm-hmm. So when he hurt his hand, I very carelessly said. I can step in for you. I can play guitar for you. You you sing and lead. The, I can't sing for shit. You but you you lead the hymns. You lead the you lead the congregation. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll play the guitar. I can back you up. Just mashing down chords. And he said, "That's very sweet. That's thank you for that. Let's think of a more realistic option. Let's let's mm-hmm. let's figure out something else." It was my mother. It's my mom who told him, "No, you give him a shot. You see what he can do." And because the service was so small. The cathedral would cancel that service for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. side by side. They would cancel those the, the downstairs service because the upstairs services were so huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They needed all the hands they could get. So I had three weeks. He 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 he, he ripped his ligament um, uh, the the Sunday before Palm Sunday. So I had three full weeks. I had three full weeks to 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 get to go from like beginner to intermediate playing capability mm-hmm. and he whooped my ass up and down that <laughs> fretboard for three weeks every i was while i was kicked out of school i had all the time in the world to do this but it didn't it it wasn't it wasn't a fun thing it wasn't like let's noodle around and play some chords no it was it was okay if you want to you want to work on being a professional musician like let's start with practicing let's start with you know getting you an hour worth of practice every day and because I was kicked out of school, I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. So over that spring and then the summer after that, I was playing with him every Sunday. And I really got into guitar. I, I loved guitar. I fell in love with, with the instrument. But it was bluegrass. That wasn't what I was interested in doing. That wasn't that was his thing. That was my that, that wasn't my thing. And I hadn't really found my thing yet until uh, he gave me a copy of um, uh, a CD that had that had Blind Willie Johnson on it, mm-hmm. and from there it was it was okay. Well, who who's this guy? Who's that? Who's who's Mississippi John Hurt? Who's Robert Johnson? Um, who are these? Who are these old blues players that are that are effectively the foundation of American popular music? 
and um, getting into the nitty gritty of their playing styles, getting into the into the the ins and outs of finger picking, slide guitar, um, learning how to make as many sounds come out of one instrument as possible, mm-hmm. and sing and tap your feet while you do it because the guys that originated this kind of music couldn't afford a band or they weren't around folks that, that knew how to play other instruments so they had to make it themselves so that's I, I right around when I was when I was 15 16 that's when I I really got into into blues into um, into that kind of playing and then by the time I was uh, 17 19 I was playing gigs with that kind of music did listening to those guys and and thinking about the work that they did and the way that they played get you in, interested in the structure of the instrument and like and oh and well what it was to what it was to uh, dig into guitars or did, was that was that just sort of a more of a job that you picked up down the road about half and half okay I think because 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 that actually believe it or not that that interest or that that passion for the guitar itself, not mm-hmm. for playing guitar, but just for the for the guitar, mm-hmm. for that for that inanimate object. I think that's always been there. Mm-hmm. I'm pr- I'm mm-hmm. pretty I'm pretty sure, because um, like I, I as I as I said, all those all those early memories are musical. Right. And about I want to say seven eight times out of ten, it was directly related to guitar, and the majority of those memories were also really positive memories really happy mm-hmm. memories Gu- guitar made me happy i remember i remember thinking that as early as like four or five like like get guitar the sound that a, that a guitar makes makes me happy or or makes me at peace or or uh, can energize me or can can it, it can elicit an emotional response and mm-hmm. that, that's that's any instrument but for me for me guitar really spoke to me and I think I guess I, I guess it was when I was like thirteen. I I discovered that if it elicits a reaction from me, it can elicit a reaction from somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that's I, I think I fell in love with with the, with how a guitar works around the same time. And I didn't get to I didn't get to really work on guitars until I was about nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I was fascinated with with instruments. I my my father had. Um, my father had a couple luthier friends, uh, Larry Seifel, who worked in Southern Maryland. He did all the pearl inlay work for uh, for Martin and for Paul Reed Smith. He did the um, the in the Smithsonian Museum of American History. There's a beautiful Paul Reed Smith guitar of a dragon breathing fire up the neck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Uh, he not only Larry Seifel not only. Uh, designed and and built that himself, but also also wrote the programs for the computers that would laser cut the wood mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, to tap in the pearl inlay with within a, a thousandth of an inch. There's no there's no adhesive. There's no glue in pearl inlay. Um, nor should there ever be. Um, <laughs> at Steve Carmody, Steve Carmody, he uh, he's got he's got a shop at his place and he's um he's a he's a great repair tech he's a great uh restoration expert he's got such a great background knowledge of martin and gibson guitars Mm -hmm. but he also builds he's also he's also a guitar he's he's the first guy that i uh that i saw use holly as a binding around the guitar hollywood like like that like that 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 prickly bush Mm -hmm. in your mom's backyard like that's the the heartwood on those things only gets to be about maybe eight inches around but it's incredibly pliable it's incredibly strong and if you polish it it turns um kind of iridescent white mm-hmm. kind of like a, like a like opal mm-hmm. so he's uh getting to to be around guys like that and and look at their look at their work it was incredibly inspiring for a teenager so i went to go work for chucks mm-hmm. i went to go work for chuck levens and I, I i learned i learned a ton under those guys under kern kern hillary who is the uh the tech who was there when I when I first started working there, and then learning from uh, from Mark Saylor and uh, and Aziz Aziz Durshad and Alex Weber too. I, you know, I, I learned I learned a lot from from the techs that I got to work with. They would give me all the simple shit. They'd give me all the restring adjust, setup, polish, bridge resets, um, electronic works, rewi- rewiring, and installations. Mm-hmm. 
I got into some cool structural stuff like gluing headstocks back together and tacking binding back down on 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 guitars and that was fine. I got to do one one full refret uh, when I was there on Ken Wenzel's guitar. After a few years of working at Chuck's, I I, I had to I finally had to quit the shop because I just got so busy with gigs. I got mm-hmm. so busy with I was I got this this offer to go play shows in Brooklyn every week mm-hmm. a, a residency mm-hmm. to, to, to go to go play gigs in Brooklyn so I, I was only working about two days a week at the at the guitar repair shop at that point and I just I split yeah I still repair guitars I still get to fix guitars now um, just on a on a, a much uh, I'm, I'm really scaled back I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm working off my kitchen counter sure sure doing there's a lot you can do with it with with a kitchen counter there's a mm-hmm. lot you can do I'm doing a lot of re, uh, rewiring I'm doing a lot of um, doing a lot of setup work and that's that's to me that's the fun one. Mm-hmm. To me that's the it's it I I love guitar. I love what guitar can do. I like helping other people get the sounds they want out of their instrument. I really I really enjoy it. Like that's that's the joy of it for me. Mm-hmm. Getting to getting to help getting to help an artist have a have a giving an artist a better tool. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah. It's interesting that talking about artists and tools um just because as a producer, as someone who, who works with the media of music as a tool and as a, as, a, as a resource in evoking emotion and in setting scenes and in pacing, I don't often think about um, the deeper, the level past that. Um, and I guess I've started to, I, I, okay, that's not entirely true. I think about it more and more as I do more recording. I think more about, but even then it's like, I'm thinking about condenser microphones and, you know, and camera lenses, but I'm not, I don't think so much anymore about, um, you know, what a set, the tools, the tools of a set piece, the tools of, um, of what goes into to making music. Do you find that knowing those tools, the way you do has changed the way you make music how much did you see learning more and more about the structure of the instrument then learning more and more about the craft of making music work together my my that's that's a that's a really interesting question i guess i i haven't really thought about about that until until you you, you brought it up i think my my fascination with the instrument itself um not performance not playing not the not the sound that it produces but just the instrument itself I think that that fascination with it was always, it was it borderline fetishization of of, of this of this cool thing, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was it was tied to the history of it. It was it was always like it. I, I I love I love old guitars. I love weird old guitars. I love I love guitars that shouldn't exist. If uh, if you you get a chance to to tack an image onto this podcast, mm-hmm. I I triple dog dare you. To uh, to to look up the uh, the the Fender Katana. Oh, dude, it's ugly. It's so <laughs> ugly. It's like it's this it's this nasty looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love I love hearing about the the mistakes that mass market guitar manufacturers made over the years. I, lo- I love stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same, and you you see the same kind of thing with with guys that are obsessed with anything, cars, cameras baseball stuff like that like there's 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 all kinds of everybody's got their got their one weird little little obsessive fascination mm-hmm. with i didn't start applying that to how i play until i was until i started repairing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't i didn't start using my knowledge my background knowledge of of history of guitars um or the or the, the the knowledge of how they're built until I started repairing stuff, mm-hmm. um, because at that point I could I could make the guitars work for me. Right. right I'm no right. I'm no longer I'm no longer uh, trying to coax sounds out of an instrument. I'm allowing the instrument to to speak on its own um, and to really access the, the the voice of that of that guitar. So I, I, uh, a good example of that is the is the guitar that i built mm-hmm. early this year after after 10 years i'm 29 at the at the time of this interview i'm, I'm 29 and i've been i've been repairing guitars for for 10 years after a decade of fixing other people's broken shit i i i finally built a guitar just for myself that is 
it's what I've always wanted. Mm-hmm. It's it's all the components that I've that I've always wanted to have working together. And the sound that I'm working with right now, that the sounds that it, that it produces, I'm. This is the first time that I've that I've played clean. In in my in my whole career, I'm not I'm I'm barely using any overdrive at all. Mm-hmm on this instrument because I really enjoy I'm not trying to play as loud as possible I'm not trying to play um, with as much uh, uh, fuzz overdrive and and aggression as I can I'm, I'm, I'm trying to play something intricate something unique something that's fun mm-hmm. I'm trying to hit all the trying to hit all the fun points but letting the guitar speak for itself mm-hmm. just letting the guitar breathe a little bit and that goes that goes for for some of the the acoustic stuff too. I've I've really had to I've I've gotten to a point now where my 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 hands are starting to to get a little get a little crampy when mm-hmm. I wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a little um, I'm getting some ligament and tendon pops, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is fine. I'm not I'm not I'm not worried about it. Um, I'm terrified, honestly. I'm I'm I'm, 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 I'm scared. I'm scared shitless. Like I, you know, they, these are these are my money makers right. right here. These are these are my hands. These right. are what I need to 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 continue paying rent on time. Mm-hmm. Um, but all all that uh, that that those those fears aside, um, I I now get to to um to play with an instrument. Right. I now get I now get to to bounce ideas off my off my guitar mm-hmm. and hearing what comes back it's 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 really fun yeah i can only i can only imagine the point of contact that i have um with that type of relationship is kind of is with like books like i feel like i feel like that's the re- like the relationship i have with plato or with you know heidegger is closer like the, the closest thing i can come to with that where it's like it's you're it's this push and pull of what resonates, what what harmonizes, what feels true. I think from a, from a production standpoint, I think from from audio production, just looking at that alone, I think the the really innovative engineers, the the really crazy ones, mm-hmm. are the are that they're they're just that they're just a little bit nuts. <laughs> they're just a li- they're just a little bit crazy. Yeah to really make something special work. And I mean, looking at guys like, um, uh, I think I'm pretty sure his name was Roland Emmerich. I'm pretty sure that's the name of the guy mm-hmm. who he was the night. He was the 19 year old recording engineer working at EMI studios for Abbey road. Mm-hmm. John Lennon didn't want to do a second vocal take for tomorrow. Never knows. Um, that which was the first song the Beatles recorded for Revolver in '65. Mm-hmm. They recorded it in '65. It was released in '66, um, and this was coming right off the heels of Rubber Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, Lennon didn't want to do a second vocal take, um, which was standard practice at the time to just beef up the vocals. Um, the only trouble was that at the at the time in the mid '60s they didn't have the software or the, the recording gear that we have now. So mm-hmm. if you had to if you had to do a second vocal take, you had to match your own pitch, you had to match your own breath, mic distance, how much you tilt your head mm-hmm. when you uh, when you speak into the into the can, how much your body moves mm-hmm. as you're going around the microphone. Mm-hmm. And looking at the at the at the changes in the room, so all those all those play a play a a, a distinct um, role in in the overall sound and how a song sounds. And Lennon didn't want to do a vocal take because it was just it was it was too much work. He just did, he just didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. He was getting kind of, he was getting fussy about it. And he was like, I just don't want to do a second vocal take. Find a way to make it work without me having to like sing that same part again because it was too hard. Mm-hmm. And this engineer just he took two tape decks home and he found a way to to play play the recording and then have the second tape deck record uh record what was being played but record it at a slightly delayed rate mm-hmm. no pitch modulation no uh no volume modulation nothing it was it was the same sound mm-hmm. but it was a slight delay on it so it sounds like there's two voices it sounds like there's two people in the room um 
and it worked. And that, that's and that that goes that goes down as the the very first first time uh, that the first use of ADT uh, artificial is artificial double tracking. I think I think is the, mm-hmm. is, the is the acronym there. Mm-hmm. ADT and that's now that's now a a standard plugin for Pro Tools. Yeah. And it's and it's all because some nineteen year old kid stole equipment from the studio, took it home with him, and and said, "I wonder if this works." Yeah. And you're always you're always going to have the crazy ones, whether that's whether you're, you're looking at um, a, a guy like Nikola Tesla, mm-hmm. looking at how looking at how electricity could move through the air, mm-hmm. or looking at a looking at a guy a, a, a crazy South African billionaire like Elon Musk, figuring out how to how to land rockets, how to not not just launch a rocket. Like that's that's amazing. Like that's like like you can make something go not just go boom but go up. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's really spectacular. But but landing it? Are you shitting me? Well, and and then you have kids, then you have these brilliant kids in sub-Saharan Africa like building, building wind turbines out of scrap and yeah, you know out of out of scrap and whatever code they can they can put together or whatever equipment they can put together. I think that. And I think, like, I'm thoroughly spoiled. I don't have to, like, I can, I if I want to make a movie, I can do it on my laptop. Um, on but, your on your laptop? Are you shitting me? You can do it on your phone. Well, no, no I mean, I, okay, okay you, I, can, you can, you can, you're right. You can make a movie on your phone. Got, I you've, just don't want to. Oh yeah, that's obviously it would take it would take a lot of work. It would take some peripheral accessories, uh-huh. but but it, the point still stands. You're, I'm speaking to our to our listeners right now. Um, all, all 10 of them. Um, the, um, that's a little bit generous, but the, (laughs) the, uh, I, I think if you, when, okay, the, the device that you're listening to this podcast on right now has more filmmaking technology than George Lucas had when he shot Star Wars. It, if you're listening to this on a new iPhone, it might have more filmmaking technology than when he shot episode two of star wars no really yeah for sure well i mean because here's the thing like you can shoot <laughs> that's amazing well cell phones like cell phones five years ago had had enough processing power to send somebody to the mm-hmm. moon on my iphone i can shoot better quality photos than i could i mean like nothing will trump film but like my first my first dslr it's a great little camera but two it, megapixels no, I mean like it's it's like it shoots raw, like it shoots yeah. full raw, and it's a yeah. great it's a great little camera. But it's you know, and it'll get a better picture if I take the time, yeah, and if I put in the energy to yeah. like do the thing. And like I love shooting it, but now that I can shoot depth of field mm-hmm. on the thing in my pocket and then post it to Instagram in all of ten seconds, hashtag no filter. <laughs> um, it's it, it's it's absurd, and I think that it. it I am really hopeful that there are people out there still making interesting art. Like there are people yes. out there still like making not not they're just always, finding always challenge, be there. like finding challenges. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's I I think um, one of the things we're gonna we're gonna see one of the things that that will never never truly go away is the art of the one shot. That's the. Mm. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg has got such a such a huge stiffy for 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 the for the one shot, mm-hmm. and it's a if you're not familiar with 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 film or um, or movie production, a one a one shot is a is a uh, ridiculously long shot uh, a, a a scene in which the camera does not stop rolling, they don't cut from one camera to another. It's just mm-hmm. one shot. Yep. Um, great example of that would be the um, the the beach scene in uh, in Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. The um, uh, what's the uh, Children of Men? Mm-hmm. Uh, Curzon's uh, Ch- Children of Men. Yep. The um, the what what's the what does he it's, call that? The, the uh, apartment escape yep. is the name of the yeah yeah. I think that's um, a technique that will be improved. With the with the use of with with the with the emergence and perfection of digital uh, videography, I think I think I think I think the the technological innovations that we're seeing right now mm-hmm. for the machines themselves, not for not for what a director can do, but for the machines themselves, I think that's going to help ameliorate what the real artists can do. 
I will tell you, I edit predominantly in, in almost exclusively in Premiere Pro um, because as much as I love Avid, it's clunky and expensive. And if you're not, in my entirely humble opinion, there are plenty of editors who will tell me I'm full of shit. Um, if you're not cutting a movie, and, and even then, like Avid is just, it's it's not as it's it's not as running gun. Like I'm not doing anything high budget enough to need that kind of that kind of depth. Um, but in Premiere, it comes standard with some programming that allows for seamless or near seamless transitions mm-hmm. of the same shot. Like if I have a shot and like I shot it pretty much the same way and I can stabilize it so the framing is the same and up until like something happened, like I was doing a one shot, I was I was doing just one continuous pan and somebody tripped in one take, but I liked how they entered. And I didn't like as, how they entered as much in any other scene and they hit their mark and then they and then and then I liked the delivery on a second scene. And granted, this is being a little bit much. You have to do a lot to to make the. You have to do a lot and make, and be very very lucky for something like this to work. But you can perform a morph cut that will just digitally. It's the same thing in audio, like smooth over. Yeah, it's the same oh, thing man, in, yeah. in in music in music production. It's exactly the same thing. Now, and and there's there will be. So what what you're talking about is a is a it's a great technique that still requires the skill of a shooter. Yo, absolutely. It's still you still have to be a you still have to know where to put that camera. Mm-hmm. You still have to know the 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 at least the rudimentary fundamental basics mm-hmm. of of video production. You have to be a producer. You have to be a you have a, to have a, a crew a, a director. Yeah, you got to have you got to have a staff for that kind of thing. In the same way music production has has you can you can physically move a guitar solo by dragging and dropping. That's insane. Like if you if you told George Martin mm-hmm. in in 1962 or 63 when he first took the Beatles on as a project, you, if you told him that you'd be able to to put George's guitar solo at the end of the song instead of the beginning of the song, he would have thought you were nuts. And that's and, and multi-tracking ADT seamless morph cuts, computer generated images mm-hmm. being uh, shopped into into a into a scene. The 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 very the very fact that Jar Jar Binks didn't actually exist is uh, a like, well that's well yeah that, that's a, that's a different that's experience. Different. Yes, yeah, <laughs> um, but that, yeah, that you can well, he's a, he's a Sith Lord, you know. That is my favorite, my literally my favorite <laughs> fan theory of all time. He's a Sith Lord who who engineered the whole thing, but but the, but the point still stands. You still have to have. Okay, in in the case in the case of 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 Jar Jar Binks, as much as we dislike that character and as much mm-hmm. as we dislike what that represents as far as like CGI over over a, a real actor on the screen, you still need Kevin Clash. Mm-hmm. You still need mm-hmm. an actor to be there. You still need musicians to be there. The 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 uh, the genius who who put the the snare drum at the bottom of an elevator shaft for the boxer. Mm. You know that's you still need to have somebody actually playing the instrument. Yeah. You still need to have a human being to, to, to be part of it. Because I can like I can go in and perfectly match a waveform so that the beginning of a word and 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 the end of a word sound like they're the same word. But I still need someone. We human beings are still notoriously good at picking up the fake. Exactly. Um, to some extent, to counter that a little bit, we are are getting less and less adept at recognizing the difference because we spend so much time in a digital space and digital spaces are getting much, much more effective at creating a facsimile of Reality. real space, of meat space, of real space. Yeah. But I think that, I think that especially in, in artistic spaces, we we are getting much much better and i think we weren't really good at this at the beginning of the aughts but we we have become much much better and and will continue to get better at integrating rather than replacing with um all of these digital tools yes. all of the other like like and i think a great example of it is you know the way and granted this isn't something that plays into your music but given the way that people have embraced 
the synthesizer and really taken it to some very fascinating places the way the way and like looping and and live modulation aren't new but there are some there are some bands that are doing a lot of really profound work with those spaces that integrate their voices with those digital tools and really leveraging them as tools you know actually i um although it's not you you, you can't necessarily you, you will not hear it in in what i in what i physically play especially you know at a at a a gig like Nanny O'Brien's where mm-hmm. I played last night. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's a that's a gig that I've had at the same bar for the past seven eight years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. playing from ten p.m. to one in the morning. Sit in a chair, play for three hours, and you know, pray that folks clap, pay attention. <laughs> and, and, if, and if they don't, it's, if they don't, it's rehearsal, and, and that's and that's that's great. I get to try new songs out. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I I love that gig. I love that gig very much. I love that bar. Um, so you you won't you won't hear me. You won't hear the kinds of things that I that I learned from at those gigs necessarily, but I listen to a lot of guys like Trent Reznor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I listen a lot to of of, of guys like um, Tool and Broken Social Scene, mm-hmm. um, who Im, who were the early Im, Im, embracers of the synthesizer mm-hmm. of of um, combining elements of electronic music and and putting those into into more conventional, not rock and roll per mm-hmm. se, but but a, a more conventional guitar-driven kind of American sound. Mm-hmm. Although Broken Social Scene is Canadian, what I what I admire about about bands that do stuff like that is they are incorporating a an artificial electronic instrument. The sound that is being produced comes from a circuit board. It mm-hmm. comes from transistors and resistors on a circuit board. I think that's how it works. I don't know. I'm not, I, don't, I don't work on keyboards. I work on guitars. I work with wood stuff. Anyway, not, that's not important. <laughs> not, not, treating, uh, not treating electronic components in music as, as a binary thing. I think that's, that's how, you, how you really push a genre or smash it apart mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. best best example i can give you of of genre breaking um is uh, is gorillas oh for sure oh yeah that's the i mean like you you've the 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 album that came out this summer humans mm-hmm. Uh, on mm-hmm. the on my on my first tour this year on the um the late may to uh to early june tour yeah um i only listened to two albums um, more than once I drive a lot and I try to listen to albums all the way through mm-hmm. and I try not to repeat stuff. I try sure. to, I try to, to, to have as much music as possible and listen to a, a broad scope of stuff. There's only two records that I listen to more than, more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, and gorillas, uh, humans mm-hmm. was, uh, was one of those just amazing, amazing album. Not, 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 not one track, uh, has a has a weak link collaborator mm-hmm. not not one every one of those has has a, has somebody else's voice on it which in a way kind of deteriorates that that happy-go-lucky cartoonish sound they developed in, in the sure, early 2000s sure, sure, sure. yeah but that's the point you should destroy that you mm-hmm. should or you should you should climb on top of that and find higher ground and find new stuff and make new art that's the whole point that's why we're here man right and that's and that's what growth i mean that's one of the things that that's what growth looks like. When I think about all of the best albums, all of like my 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 top twenty albums of the last decade, um, all of them, especially if like there are repeat bands that show up, took a twist and did something new yeah. and took yeah. it like and so I so you you mentioned Tool a little bit ago, which is I mean this year I know we've been saying that for the last five years, but this year this year there's gonna be there's gonna be a new album. There's totally gonna no no no, but no there's totally no, no there's no, not gonna no, be not, not, they're no, done making no, new music. No. Um, it's just never gonna happen. Dude, they're in their fifties. They've I mean, got lives. Well, no, they've, they've got, got babies. Gonna, they've got... He's got a vineyard to run, and you know he's they're they're just they're just, they're just doing their thing. Yeah, they're 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 and they're all they're all living. I, I'm assuming they're all living very fulfilled lives, and and when they and when they do get together to play. They're playing amazing arena shows that look great, that sound great. Mm. They're not dealing with shitty sound systems. They're yeah. not dealing with rooms that aren't built for live music. Yeah. They're playing some really great spaces, and the, and and Adam Jones gets to design some posters and draw some stuff. Yep. it's a 
it's fun. They're having they're having fun with it. And I and you know what they they put out some amazing material when they were a super active band. Mm-hmm. They they garnered a great following and they worked their asses off. Mm-hmm. They worked their asses off at playing playing shitty clubs, getting paid dirt and and packing it all into a van and then going to the next show. Those guys worked their asses again. off. If they're if they want to take a step back and like take fifteen years between albums now, fine. Yeah. Absolutely fine. I'm not angry about it at all. And I think so I I always struggled with ten thousand days. Especially like the second half of ten thousand days just yep. gets weird. Yep. And it's it's not the thing is it's not bad. Like it's not it's by no measure is it a bad album. And I have to give it a lot of credit because like Lateralis is what it is. It has this arc. It's a very, I think it's very tight. Mm-hmm. They kept it like it's, it's very, very much them, but I think it's a whole lot cleaner than undertow. And I think that in 10,000 days, they took a big risk by saying, we're just gonna, we're just going to give you this thing. And it's weird. And it's different. Multi-sensory that, that hold the whole, the, 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 uh, the ocular mm-hmm. effect with the, uh, with the CD packaging that won a Grammy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, and, 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 and no matter no matter what the music does, no matter whether you think it's the best album ever or it's totally passable, it took that risk and internally was like this structure for let's dismantle the thing that we've already done. Where there are a lot of bands when you get to that level, like when you've already put out as much good and successful music as Tool had at that point, they could have given us another album that was more of the same and it would have been gangbusters everybody like everybody would have been into it on the consumer level on the artistic level and from the creative standpoint there would have been plenty of criticism but if you wanted to like if you want to cash in on a thing you can cash in on the thing so i think they did i think they well i mean the 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 way in which and this is this is the the beauty of playing playing music for a living in the 21st century um there's a lot of ways you can go with that i think they did cash in on it but they didn't cash in um, on that concept or that way of producing music. I don't think they really moved on that um, by producing something else. I think they moved on that. They cashed in on that idea with the live show. Mm-hmm. They, I, If I'm not mistaken, I think they toured for a year and a half on that album, which is like that's... That's what nearly killed Radiohead, and they were and and Tool was happy about it. Tool was Tool was jazzed about it. They were they were they were I I, I think they were they're pumped to to go play to go play shows with a lighting show they designed with elements of video production that they produced on their own with um, with songs they wrote. I think they, they there's a there's a live aspect to to that band that I think that they they really enjoyed conversely mm-hmm. there's whenever we whenever i talk about tool i like to talk about rage against the machine too because that's a that's a band that was similarly influential from a very different side of the mm-hmm. spectrum mm-hmm. um I, I i think i think tool is more toward the indigo side of the of the electromagnetic light spectrum and mm-hmm. i think i think uh, rage against the machine is more toward the more toward the red side Um, in more ways than one, I think, um, so the, the two albums that I, that I really look at from, from those, from those two bands, um, because those, those bands follow a a very similar kind of arc, Mm -hmm. um, up to a certain point, I think, uh, uh, Battle of Los Angeles came out in 99 Mm -hmm. and then Renegades came out in 2000. And that was that the album had come out after the band had already broken up. Right. Um, Battle of Los Angeles was their lateralis. Oh, Battle for of sure. Las, Battle of Los Angeles was their Led Zeppelin four. That was their that was their 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 giant, well produced. It had all the hits on it. Mm-hmm. It had all the. I mean, we we still like to sing along to to uh, Killing in the Name, but the big the big money maker the big blockbuster was was Battle of Los Angeles. Um, much in the same way that the the well produced, well thought out, perfect album was Lateralis for Tool. Mm-hmm. The album that I like from Tool 
the album that I like the most was Anima. Yeah. From 97. Oh, yeah. Cause that's cause it, it has, it's the, it's the, it's the great meeting point. It's the great, it's the great, they still have that, that, that edge. They still have that, that kind of openly aggressive nature. Mm-hmm. Um, while also being sweepingly melodic and having having these great elements of of production and composition and learning how to how to build a song not as a series of verses and choruses and bridges but as a series of suites mm-hmm. and these these rep- these repeating melody lines you know that's anima is a, is a great is a great album for that that's I think that's that's a really fun tool album mm-hmm. and, and and it's I enjoy listening to that one all the way through more so than I enjoy listening to uh, to, to Lateralis. Mm-hmm. I think for Rage Against the Machine, um, their anima was Evil Empire. I was just about to say yeah, because that's yes, ninety six. They 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 finally they uh, they they had a great record mm-hmm. that audio engineers still if if there's any engineers listening to this. You ever want to test out your your studio monitors? You ever want to get a good sense of how well your space is? Throw on the debut Rage Against the Machine uh, album, the, yeah, the uh, their self uh, uh, yeah their self titled uh, debut. Do do that and 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 <laughs> test your speakers out on that. That is a perfectly produced album. That is a that is a beautifully engineered and produced record. Mm-hmm. But Evil Empire, the songwriting got better. The mm-hmm, material mm-hmm. got better. They 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 tried new ideas out. Tom Morello explored what exactly you can do with a guitar. Mm-hmm. It wasn't kitsch mm-hmm. anymore. It wasn't it wasn't a gimmick. It was it was really jumping off the deep end. And then by by Battle of Los Angeles, he had fine tuned all the all the exploration stuff that he had that he had uh, uh that he had touched on and developed it into yeah. something much cleaner. Yeah. But yeah, Evil Empire that still has that's a that is a eleven track long, thirty five minute long, thirty six minute long album. Um that is still my favorite from that band. I haven't gone back to Rage Against the Machine in a while, and I think part of it's part of it's because I've just been exploring a whole bunch of different spaces. It's been a while since I've come back and listened to Rage Against the Machine, Tool, Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, early Queens of the Stone Age. Like, just go back and dig out the old classics. Oh hell yeah! Um, just because it's you know it's been ages. Um, I always, and I think this is this says a lot more about me than anything else. I always was really into a perfect circle and I think, yeah, and I think, but I absolutely, think that, but like, but I was always, and I think it, it came down to a perfect circle did a perfect circle did tool in a way that was much more thinky, like, and much more, much more digestible. Um, like it's much, it's a much more accessible band, but man, it was a, a, perf- it, a perfect circle. I, I, uh, for, for me was, that's a, that's another group that I, that I learned a lot from in terms of, songwriting in terms of of melody and songwriting and and lyric lyrics and and composition because i think that the the team of maynard and billy howardell and i think that's mm-hmm. that, that it comes out in the, in the in the material that uh that a perfect circle produced and a lot of it is a lot of it is still Billy. A lot of it is a, is a guitar player who came up in the 1980s, mm-hmm. and that sound is still there. That's a sound that you weren't really that was written off as as and dismissed as dated, right. and out of touch with uh, with contemporary music um, in the in the mid 2000s when a perfect circle was was at their at their zenith. Um, but I, I I really think that the team of and it goes back to to gear and production versus the human beings in the room. Right. I think a a dynamic duo of singer and songwriter and composer that that relationship will always be somewhere in in popular music that's always going to be a part of what we listen to whether that's through advertisement, movie soundtracks or through I don't know who's still putting out albums these days but through through albums through albums and i think that i mean bringing it just bringing it a little bit further around um one thing that i've been thinking about uh since you mentioned nine inch nails that i now i just cannot remember johnny cash did a beautiful cover of 
Hurt. Hurt. Thank you. Oh, that was going to that was going to kill me. But I think that but Johnny Cash did this amazing cover of Hurt that I, if you don't if you if that does not immediately pop into your head the second I say that, go find it on the internet and listen to it because you will cry and it is phenomenal. Um, don't watch the video. You're going to bawl your eyes out. It's just, it is such yeah, a... Yeah. And, he, and he, he, he... That was... The the al- the album that he that he that he put that on was uh, was an album of covers mm-hmm. and it was a the series was called American it was produced by Rick Rubin mm-hmm. who of of uh, nothing records fame somebody who worked with uh, with Beastie Boys somebody who worked with with Marilyn Manson uh, system of a down for God's sake mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then he goes to work with Johnny Cash like that's like that's a that's a bit of a jump that's a bit of a leap yeah. So the so the the album that that was that was put out was uh, was a ton of covers and he it's not it's not just hurt which is a great song, there's also won't back down mm-hmm. from Tom Petty he does a great version of um of a uh, Rusty Cage, from Soundgarden, <laughs> which is that's all oh, man it is just there is there's something there's something furious and 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 innately cool about Johnny Cash uh, singing I'm. I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. That, that's it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I still yeah. get goosebumps when I when I hear that. But the the, uh, you still need a great song. You still need a great song for that. When I hear Johnny Cash covering Hurt, and then I listen to the the original recording of Hurt, I can hear older. Like I can hear the through line of Cash's discography like carrying through the original track and then into his cover like the you have you if you're looking for it you can see the past influencing the present influencing the past in a really fascinating way that i think music does very effectively and in some ways much more subtly than things like film and television where you like you see the homage you you get the reference but those references i think in in my experience of music end up carrying a different kind of weight and are much more Oh well, that's. I mean, I I think that's, I I I agree, but I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's that's, um. I don't think that is specific to music. Mm. I think that mm-hmm. I, I I think there's Fair. there's all kinds of and you know and God what a what a great town we live in for it because mm-hmm. I think there's all kinds of. Multi-sensory. Forms of artistic expression. Wow. Jesus, that's 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 a mouthful. Let's just say let's just say art. Um, <laughs> I think I think there's um, there's a lot of aspects that cross over. Um, for instance, the best hangover cure in DC is at Chinatown Express. It's a um, it's a it's a, a little noodle shop. On Sixth and H Northwest, mm-hmm. it's in Chinatown. Whatever's left of Chinatown, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a it's a family-owned, single-location Chinese noodle shop. You can see the old guy in the window every day, making stretching the dough out, making noodles, surrounded by uh, a dozen or so fried ducks hanging up mm-hmm. in the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do they do noodles and they do dumplings, right? And that's it. That's that's it. They got they they you can you can order your General Tso's chicken, but you don't go there for that. You go there for dumplings, or you go there for noodles. Right. And the duck soup they have, my hand to God will wipe a hangover <laughs> out of your body. It'll it'll it's like Muhammad Ali. It is the it is the it is the George Foreman of soups. It will it will kill your hangover and make you feel ten feet tall. And that's a that's a that's something that that food can do for us. That's mm-hmm. something that when you, when you look at something like the, the sun setting down, uh, over the tidal basin and then coming screaming through that little clutch of sugar maples south of the mall right. and looking at the, at the reflections of, of the, of the water on the district war memorial, that little tiny dome in the trees that it, it's, it, it elicits this kind of reaction of, of this sad admiration of beauty and this this 
this distinct sense of loss because mm-hmm. all the, the foundation column of that building has the names of all the DC citizens that fought in World War One. Right. You you feel that loss, but you also feel connected. You feel tied to them. And that's that's a, it's a building. It's a pile of stones. That's all that is. It's a dome. It's a it's a big white dome set on top of some really boring looking columns on a foundation platform. It's a bandstand. John Philip Sousa used to play there, I think. Marine 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 Marine, Marine Corps band used to used to march from the barracks and play there. Right. I think that this this town is 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 full of that. That's why I like living here so much. And I think that's all all they're trying to do. Looking at the chefs that work here, the chefs that that that, that work uh, uh, in new restaurants and old restaurants, the the musicians, the architects, um, the, the the ones that are that are making stuff in this town. I I think all they're trying to do is tell a story, and it's no different on a human level. It's no different than painting your handprint on a cave wall. It's it's something that we've been doing as human beings since before we were humans. We've we've been doing this for for hundreds of thousands of years. And now we're getting to a point where we can, we can tell a story with a, a, a piece of machinery we keep in our pants. We can, <laughs> we can, we can take we can and we, and we have and we have ways of sharing those stories immediately and instantaneously. We can take a picture of where we are and not even say a word about it, but just by looking at the picture, people who are close to us will know where we are, what what we're what we're doing. Probably have a good idea of what we're thinking about too. I, I think it's a it's a, a very curious time to be alive. Um, certainly to to be creating stuff and 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 making things in in DC, but also in the in the in the world at large. I think this is this is what we're looking at a, at a, a very strange age. That's our episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find out more about Johnny at applyingtoeverything.xyz slash guests or at johnnygrave.com. You can follow Johnny on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Johnny Grave. If you're looking to see him play, which you should, Johnny Grave will spend the month of November playing a multitude of hometown gigs and exactly one gig in the Bronx. For the week between Thanksgiving and December, you can find him in the Mojave Desert investigating 10,000-year-old cave paintings and three-month-old cannabis dispensaries. The entire gig calendar can be found at johnnygrave.com. You can find out more about the show at applyingtoeverything.xyz. We're on iTunes and Google Play, where you can subscribe to, rate, and review the show. If you're in the D.C. area and you don't get enough of me on the podcast, check out Laugh Index Theater's cloaking device, a long-form improv team I perform with at the D.C. Art Center in Adams Morgan. You can find out more about our show schedule at laughindextheater.com. Thanks to Humble Fire for the use of our theme song, Mount St. Misery, off of The Great Resolve, available on iTunes, Spotify, and at humblefire.band. I'd also like to thank Kiara Scarcella for designing our logo. Tune in next time for a compilation episode of silly jokes, outtakes, and mix-ups from our previous episodes. It should be fun. Talk to you then.